0: How can we ever get over a course like that? He loves us, oh, how He loves us. And and that's a reality. God, the omnipotent God, the omniscient God, the omnipresent God, God who is absolutely pure, God who is absolutely holy, loves us. We who so often are indifferent to Him. We so who often are rebellious towards Him. We so who often think of ourselves above Him and put Him in just a small compartment of our life, and yet through all of that, He loves us. And there's only one explanation, and the Bible gives us that explanation. It's because God is love. He is love, and He can only act out of that love. And we are the benefactors of that love every single day. And even though we take it for granted, it will always be true, and we can certainly enjoy it like we just have. Well, today I want to do an alignment. In fact, that's the reason we always get together at church, to do an alignment. You know, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it challenges us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, some of us got in the habit of doing that over the summertime, and we need to correct that, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that every time we come, God has an opportunity to align us. You know, if our car gets out of alignment, we've got some problems. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I'm sure all of us have. You notice that the steering wheel, sometimes at some speeds, a little bit kind of shakes. And if you, if you put on the brakes, the car wants to pull one way or the other. And if you leave your car out of alignment enough, it really starts to wear the tires prematurely. And if you don't get it fixed, you can go through a lot of tires pretty quickly. Well, the same thing happens to us spiritually. We have to constantly align ourselves with God and his purpose for our life. Because when we don't, we'll find that our life kind of gets off course. and We'll head off to the right or we'll head off to the left. And we get a lot of wear and tear on us, on ourselves emotionally and physically and spiritually. And so we need to constantly align ourselves. I've shared this verse with you a couple times in the last several weeks. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now, that is so important for every believer to embrace and to understand about yourself. The moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God re-engineered you. Now, you may not look different, you may not feel different, but you are different. The old, who you used to be, and everything about you is gone, and everything has become new. Now, what our Christian life is about, from that moment on, is all about... Embracing our new purpose. And our new purpose is to increasingly align this new person, this new creation, with our new position in Christ. Now, what is our new position in Christ? Well, our new position in Christ is we are adopted into his royal family. We are sons and daughters. John 1.12 says, Yet to as many as received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. So we are children of God. I am Prince Peter. (laughs) Stella, my wife, is Princess Stella. And all of you are the same. Now, our goal is to increasingly align every part of our life with that new position of being a member of the royal family of God. In in a human analogy, the best one I can come up with is what's going on in the life of Kate Middleton right now. As we all know, and the world watched and was thrilled with the the marriage of of Kate Middleton and and, uh, Prince William. Now, Kate was a commoner, and it really shook up the British Empire for a while that, that a royal was marrying a commoner. And so now this commoner has been brought into the royal family through her marriage with William. And everything about her life from that moment on has changed. Now, she has to transform herself into the expectations and the purpose of the royal family to represent the nation of England. Everything that she may have planned for her life before marrying Prince William is gone. She will never ever realize that path of life that could have been. Because her path has been Permanently altered, and now everything about her, every compartment of her life must conform to being a royal princess. Everything. She's in constant transition. She's learning every day how to do that more and more and more. That's what has happened to us we have been adopted into the royal family. The course of life that we might have chosen, we might have taken is gone forever and we have a new purpose and that purpose now is to increasingly become part of the royal family. We need to look like the royal family. We need to act like the royal family. We need to fulfill the purpose of the royal family. We are now royalty. God has engineered us to be new creations. Now with that, we must constantly align ourselves with our Savior. Today, I want to specifically look at one area of that alignment. And I think it's a really important area of our alignment with the royal family of God because it's an area that I think so many of us neglect, don't even think about, and certainly don't act upon. Now, you will recall that one day in Jesus' ministry, someone approached him and asked him a question. He said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all the commandments? What's the greatest one? Remember, there were over 600 commandments of the Mosaic law. And so he immediately responded, in this case, in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That's the greatest commandment. Now, notice what he says. He's talking about aligning ourselves with God. He says, love the Lord your God with all your soul. Now, we do that the moment we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We surrender our soul to him. What we are doing when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're saying, I abandon any confidence in myself, I abandon any hope that somehow I can be a good enough man, a good enough woman to earn my way into God's royal kingdom, that I can earn my way into God's forgiveness. Instead, we surrender our soul. We realign all of that with God's provision of Jesus Christ's death on the cross and we trust Him, and we trust Him alone. So we love Him with all our soul. We abandon our soul to His eternal care. Now, we love Him with all our strength as we actively serve Him. You know, every single member of the royal family of God should be in active service on behalf of the family. We should be serving him somewhere. We should be using those natural talents that God has given us. We should be using our spiritual giftedness that comes to us after we trust Christ as our Savior. We should be using it for the kingdom. We are to be serving God. And if we're not, then we're not aligned with our purpose. We love him with all our mind as we continue to study the word of God. And as we read it and as we apply it to our hearts, as David said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, all of these are action steps. All of these are things that we need to commit to, that we need to align ourselves with. But he finally says that love God with all our heart. Now, how do we do that? In our human relationships, if we're talking about loving someone with all our heart, it's an emotional response. It's, it's a response of commitment. We might say to our spouse, or we might say to our child, or someone dear to us, we might say, I love you with all my heart. And what we're trying to convey is a very strong emotional attachment. So is that what it means to love God with all our heart? Do we go, God, I just love you with all my emotional attachment I can possibly muster up. Well, that doesn't fit with the rest of the formula. Because everything else God has given us is an action step. Something that we need to do to align ourselves with our new position as adopted members into the royal family of God. So what does it mean to align our heart with God? Well, what it means is to align our heart with his heart. In other words, to align our heart, to make passionate in our heart what is passionate in God's heart. And what is passionate in God's heart is revealed through the mission of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, it says, don't miss this. Don't confuse this. It goes on to say, Christ Jesus came into the world to what? Save sinners. Now, Burn that into your consciousness. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It was a rescue mission. Jesus did not come in the world to create a new religious system that we now call Christianity. Jesus did not come into the world to teach us how to be better people, better moms and dads and, and, and better sisters and brothers and better coworkers. He did not come in to give us a new moral code. Jesus came here for the express purpose of saving sinners, and that is his purpose, that is his heart. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.9, a verse that I share with you frequently, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, the background of that statement by Peter comes from a challenge to Christianity in the first century A.D. Back in verse 4 and 5 of 2 Peter 3, it says, First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. In other words, even in the first century Just a matter of a few years after Jesus had ascended back into heaven, non-believers were already challenging Christianity's claim that Jesus is coming again. And that's a fundamental part of Christianity. Jesus is coming again. And even that earlier, they're saying, yeah, when's he coming? It's been a lot of years now, Peter. When is he coming? You keep saying he's coming back, but he hasn't come yet. Everything goes on just like it has since the beginning of time. Now, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus ascended back up into heaven. And that argument becomes stronger with each generation, and that challenge to Christianity becomes stronger with each generation. When's he coming back? Where is he? So, see, Peter's response to that challenge is the verse we just looked at, verse 9. And he's saying, listen. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. In other words, he's not on your timetable. He's not on your clock. He's not on your calendar because you don't get it. Then he goes on to explain this. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. No, this is the heart of God. God so loves every human being that he is keeping Jesus from returning to allow some man... Some woman, one more opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior. Because God knows that when Jesus comes back, this age of grace that we just sang about this morning is closed forever. And he knows that Jesus' return will eternally doom the souls of millions and millions and millions of people who are still alive. But God's heart And Jesus' mission is to save sinners. And so God holds Jesus' return back day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Not because eventually he's not going to do it, but because he so loves every human being. He is so passionate about every soul that he refuses to pull the trigger and plunge those who have not yet trusted Christ into a hopeless eternity. See, Jesus' heart was and remains to be linked to his mission, and that is to save sinners. Now, how does this relate to us? Well, I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bible, to turn to the book of Romans this morning. Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament portion of your Bible. You have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you have the book of Acts, which talks about the foundation of the Christian church. And then the book of Romans. Now, if you really want to understand what Christianity is all about, if you want to understand the theology and the doctrine of Christianity, read and study the book of Romans. It is the most theological book in the New Testament. It explains everything about Christianity. Now, Paul is addressing this thought that we are considering today, aligning our hearts with God's mission, Jesus' mission, with his heart. Now, he starts out the chapter in verse 1 by saying, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Now, remember, Paul is this unbelievable man of God. He is so impactful for the Christian church and even the formation of the scriptures. Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament that we enjoy today. He was the great Gentile missionary who took the gospel of Christ into the Gentile nations. However, he never lost his love for his own countrymen. He was a Jew. And while he was a Jew, before he came to faith in Christ, he was one of the most zealous Jews there were. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the religious ruling class of Israel. He was on the the, the fast track to become maybe chief priest of all Israel. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and he aligned his life. He realigned it with the cause of Jesus Christ. He was most abused and oppressed by his own countrymen. Twice they stoned him and left him for dead. They constantly imprisoned him, and they beat him. And wherever he went, they followed him and tried to stir up trouble so that he would be put into prison and silenced for the cause of Christ. And yet still, his heart was linked with the heart of his Savior. Because even though those people had abused him, he knew that God loved him. And God's passion was that every Jew would trust Jesus Christ as his or her personal savior and receive God's eternal pardon. And so Paul says, my passion is the same passion of my Lord. I am aligned. My heart is aligned with his heart. And I have a zeal for Israel that they will be saved. He goes on to say in verse two, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. He says, I'm here to tell you that that the Jewish people love God. They're interested in the things of God. They have a zeal for God. They're not atheists. They're not agnostics. They know there is one God, God Jehovah, and they have a desire to serve him. He said the problem is they are misinformed about who God is and what God has done. They don't know the true God. And they don't know the plan of God. it's got all muddled and confused through their religious history. He goes on to say in verse 3, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, in other words, Jesus, the Messiah, when he came, and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. He said what happened was that Israel got all messed up in their religiosity. And they created a man-made religious system centered around the law of Moses. And remember, the law of Moses is not just the Ten Commandments. There were over 600 commandments in the law of Moses. And so the entire relationship of Israel to God, Jehovah, who they had a zeal for, became trying to fulfill these ridiculous minutia rules and regulations that man made, their religious leaders made and imposed on them. And they thought that by fulfilling those, they could appease God and upon their death be welcomed into his eternal kingdom. Now, let me pause to say this. Nothing has changed in the last 2,000 years. Many of your family members, many of your friends, many of your co-workers and neighbors are still living under this same delusion. It's not that they don't have a zeal for God. In fact, all the recent polls that are taken in America about belief in God reveal that the majority of Americans still believe in God. The problem is, is that because of the religious smorgasbord that exists in the world, there is great confusion about who God really is and what God has done for mankind. And consequently, they are missing God's provision of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing happening over and over again. See, because it says in Romans 10.4, Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of all those religious systems that depend on man's goodness to earn their way to heaven. So that there might be righteousness for what? everyone who believes. See God has made it simple. And through Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did on the cross, Jesus put an end to all man-made religious systems, including the Mosaic law. And instead, Jesus fulfilled it all. Jesus became the one and only sacrifice needed for the forgiveness of sin. Romans 10, 5 says, Moses described in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. Now, here's what that means. What it means is that Moses brought man the law of Moses. And the mankind depended on fulfilling that law to get entrance into God's eternal kingdom. But here is what Moses taught. If you think that by the law, you can get into the kingdom of God. Here's what must be true in your life. What must be true is that the moment, from the moment you were born to the moment you breathe your last breath, you must have lived your life in such a way that you have not offended one single law at any time in your life. Then maybe you have a case to plead before God. In other words, you have to have lived your life perfectly, never offending God, never violating any of his commandments. Now, what are the odds of anybody ever doing that? Zero. See, the law was never intended to be a way to salvation. The law was given to mankind to demonstrate once and for all that we could never live up to God's standards for entrance into his kingdom. We could never do it. And it was designed for us to look forward to the coming of God's sacrifice for our sins. And it's always been by faith. In the Old Testament, it's by faith in the coming Savior that would release us from the bondage of our religiosity. Now, it's looking back to the fact that Jesus has already come and we are no longer bound to religious systems any longer. But it's always been through faith. He goes on to say in verses 6 and 7, But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, what he goes on to say is that, listen, there is no other revelation from God that is needed. And there is no other revelation from God that will ever come. No one needs to go up into heaven and find from Christ some new word, some new angle, some new thing that must be done. No one can go down into the depths of hell because Christ has already risen from the dead. In other words, there is nothing else that God is going to reveal. God has already revealed everything that man has, will ever know and is, that man needs to have eternal life with God in eternal forgiveness. That's why, in our day or any day, if you hear any denomination or any person say, I've had another revelation from God since Jesus Christ, or God has whispered in my ear something new, you can mark it down that it is not from God. It is either man made for man's own edification and manipulation, or it is of Satan because God has said, Jesus Christ is the end of the law, it's finished. Nothing else is coming. Nothing else is needed. It goes on to say in verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we're proclaiming. See, so he's saying, you don't need any other religious system. You don't need any miracles, any signs from heaven. You don't need the, 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 the thunders to roar and the mountains to shake because God has gotten a whole lot more intimate with you. He has put the truth of who he is and what he has done right here in your heart. And he has given you the opportunity to receive eternal forgiveness right here on your mouth. It's nowhere else. You don't have to hunt for it. You don't have to hope for some other revelation. All you have to do is respond to what God has already done. That's why it goes on to say in verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's done. That's all that's required. No one can add anything to it. No one can take anything away from it. God has fulfilled the law in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 12, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of who? All. And richly blesses who? All who call upon his name. Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is King and King of Lord of Lords for the Hispanic. He is King and King and Lord of Lords for the African. He is King and King and Lord of Lords for the Asian for the Australian, for the North Americans, for the South American, for the Europeans. He is king and king of kings and lord of lords for every single human being on planet Earth. And he will bring love and mercy and forgiveness to all who believe on the name of Jesus. <laughs> Romans 10, 13, everyone, who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, no matter what their ethnic background, no matter what their social status, doesn't matter whether they have a lot of money or live in a poor neighborhood, doesn't matter where kind of what kind of job they have, doesn't matter anything. Everyone, that obnoxious co-worker that you are not looking forward to seeing tomorrow when you go back to work, that boss that is abusive, that you just hate seeing from day to day, God loves that man. God loves that woman. And they will receive God's love and forgiveness if they just call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Now that raises a question. Since God has settled it, and since God has made eternal life so readily available to every human being, why don't more people trust Jesus Christ as their Savior? Well, Paul answers that question in this same passage. He goes on to say in verse 14, Romans 10, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? In other words, how can they escape from the religious confusion that is present in their life? It's not that they're not interested in God. It's not that they don't believe in God. How can they find eternal life if those who know the plan of eternal life and the path to eternal life don't tell them about it? Now interesting, I did a lot of research in preparation for this message and I studied a lot of different theologians and looked at a lot of different commentaries. And it was interesting, the older I went back to the theologian, the more the commentaries were talking about people like me people with the title and the office of pastor as preacher. And they said, we need more preachers. We need more Jonathan Edwards. We need more George Whitfields. We need more, more Charles Moody. We, we, need, we need more preachers and more people need to surrender to the ministry. We need more preachers. And I, I knew where they were coming from, but I thought to myself, that is both scripturally inaccurate and it's arrogant. Because the truth of the matter is, What the Bible teaches is that we are all the priesthood of God. We are all a royal priesthood. And therefore, we are all preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a charge and a responsibility of every single member of the royal family. So why don't we preach to unbelievers more? Why don't we reach out more? We who have the antidote to eternal death and suffering, why don't we share it more? Well, I got to really thinking about that. And several things came to my mind. The one is we're tuned out, we're just not aligned. Our hearts are not aligned to the heart of our Savior. Our hearts are not aligned to his mission. Our hearts are not aligned to our purpose. Last week I was gone. The reason I was gone was because I was attending my 40th high school reunion. I'm getting old, you know. I really was divided on whether I was even going to go or not. So I decided to drive. That way I didn't have an airline ticket that would be hanging over my head. I could back out at the last moment. And I really thought about backing out on numerous times. And Stella finally talked me into it. She said, you're going. And I said, I don't know if I want to go. She goes, you're going. She says, "For, for, for one thing, you need to stop up and see Peter on the way. The other thing is your brother may need you. My sister-in-law is going to have surgery for cancer in just a couple weeks. And she said, your brother may need to talk with you. Because my brother was going to be there celebrating his 35th high school reunion. Same weekend. And so she said, you you need to go. And she said, besides, you're not getting any younger. This may be the last chance you got. (laughs) I really appreciated that reminder. But anyhow, I decided to go. And so my brother and I were going to share the same hotel room to save on, on cost. And it, I found out that I was going to arrive one night earlier than him. And so I told him I was going to be there. And he said, okay, when you get to the hotel, see if the boxes came in with the books. And I said, okay. All right, so I checked into the hotel that night and I said, oh, by the way, my brother's coming in and he said he sent some boxes. Did any boxes come in? They said, oh yeah, we got your boxes. So they, they brought on all these boxes. I had to go get another luggage thing to get them to the room. So finally, the next day comes and my brother comes. It's the day of our, our reunion. And he said, did you check on the box, books? Did the books get in? I said, yeah, they're all right there. I said, what are these books? What, what are you doing? And he opened one and he pulled out this little book. It's a book by Andy Stanley. It says, How Good is Good Enough? It's a book about the gospel of Jesus Christ as opposed to work salvation. He said, I'm giving one of these to every member of my class. Man, you talk about being humbled. Here my brother is, a captain on the fire department. And here I am, Pastor Pete, Reverend Tokar. And all I was concerned about was, I don't know if I want to see these people. I didn't like them when I went to school with them. What? I don't want them to see how fat I've got. I don't want, It was all about me. See, my heart wasn't aligned with the mission of my Savior. But my brother's was. He had thought enough to buy and to pre-send a book that he could put in the hand of every one of his classmates that gave them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was so excited. See, the reason that the gospel isn't going out more is often because we're just not tuned into it. We're so caught up in the other distractions of life or we're so caught up in ourselves. That we're not fulfilling our purpose. And our primary purpose is to align our hearts with the heart of our Savior and His mission. And His mission is that Jesus came to save sinners. Another reason is we're unprepared. And we think, I I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about God's Word. How can I ever share the Gospel? How can I, how can, I'm just, I, I just can't do it. And we're all insecure in our own spiritual immaturity. You know, but the truth is that God has made this whole plan so simple that all we have to do to have everything we need to tell others about it is memorize one little verse in the Bible. It's the verse that we see all the time. Look today, when you watch the football game, if you go home and watch a football game, and in the end zone, when they're kicking a point after, you're gonna see somebody with a sign that says John 3.16. Tim Tebow had John 3.16 put on his eyes for God's soul of the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's all you need to know. That's it. One verse. You don't need to know the Bible. You don't need to be a Bible student. You don't need to have taught Bible class. All you need to memorize is one verse, John three sixteen, and you'll have everything you need to lead somebody to faith in Jesus Christ and lead them out of the darkness of religious confusion into the path of eternal forgiveness. That's all you need. One verse. Another reason is that we've bought into this idea that no one's interested anyhow. Why should I talk to anybody about Jesus? Because no one cares. No one at all is interested. Going back to my reunion, I kind of reluctantly agreed to go to my reunion. And another element that finally led me to go was the fact that I got called from one of my former classmates who was on the reunion committee. And she called and she said, Pete, she said, would, would you do our class the honor of offering the invocation at our reunion? And I was thinking to myself, I don't even know if I'm coming. <laughs> and finally I said, okay, I'll do it. And she goes, now there's one other thing. During the formal part of our reunion, we're going to have a special time of memorial for those of our classmates who have already died. And we're going to read their names and, and would you kind of officiate over I'm in a memorial kind of time. And I said, yeah, okay, all right. I'll do that. Well, I came and and I did the invocation. And I want to tell you how the rest of the night went. And when I tell you the rest of the night, I'm talking about from 7.15 p.m. till 2.30 in the morning. I never ate. I never sat down. The rest of the evening was characterized by person after person, classmate after classmate, couple after couple, coming up to me, not to celebrate any athletic achievements, not to remember the the musical proficiency that, that I had when I was in high school, but they came up to share their faith story with me. Doctors and lawyers and judges and educators and laborers and company owners, one after one, came up to me. And said, Pete, I really appreciated the words of your invocation. And I really appreciated the words in the memorial service. And I want to tell you about my faith experience. And they began to tell me stories of how they had contracted cancer. And how that bout with cancer had turned their eyes to God. And they found through some servant of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they received the gospel and their life has never been the same since. Others came up and told me how through some relational confusion and breakup in their isolation and loneliness and their feelings of rejection, they had discovered the one who would never reject them. And they had put their faith in Jesus Christ. Others through financial ruin. Others through circumstances. Others just because of somebody caring enough to give them a little track, a little book came to faith in Jesus Christ all night long. People I didn't even know in high school. In fact, I had made it a goal that if I was gonna go, I was at least gonna get around to every single table and talk to people. Uh, but towards the end of the night, the, the early time, before we, we had the after get-together that went till 2.30, there was one table left, there was a guy sitting there. He had real long hair, he looked like a biker guy. And his, his wife that was with him. She looked like a biker person, you know. And I thought to myself, this isn't going to go good. (laughs) And I went up to him and I said, hey, I'm Pete Tokar. And he said, yeah, I know who you are. He said, we wouldn't have known each other in high school. We were in total opposite circles. And I said, well, I'm sorry that we didn't get to know each other, but let's get to know each other right now. And so we began to talk and, and he said, he said, well, after high school, I got drafted he said, so instead of getting drafted in the Army, I joined the Navy, and I became a corpsman, and immediately I got shipped off with the Marines to Vietnam. He told me that story. And I shared with him that I had some service time, and, and so that was kind of a, a little bond, and we started talking about that a little bit. And they told me, he said, you know what I do now? And I said, no, I was afraid, you know. <laughs> he said, I'm the chaplain for the American Legion unit of Canfield. I'm looking at this guy, and I'm saying, you got to be kidding me. And we started talking about Jesus and about how amazing Jesus had been in both of our lives. Listen, Satan puts in our thoughts, in our hearts, no one is interested, but it's a lie. They are interested. They are hungry for healing they 're hungry for someone to, to help them in their isolation, in their loneliness they 're hungry for to help someone to be there through their times of fear. They need Jesus, and they are open to His word. The problem is right here, we 're not talking about it. Paul ends his talk on this in verse 15 by saying, and how can they preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I thought I read that. I said, what an ironic analogy. How beautiful are the feet. How many would agree with me that the feet aren't the most attractive part of the human body? You know? And in that day, remember, They wore sandals. They walked everywhere they went. Can you imagine how ugly their feet were? But he used that analogy that would instantly bring that image into our mind to say, but the feet of those who walk into a home, the feet of those who walk into a place of business, the feet of those who walk into a restaurant, bringing the gospel are the most beautiful feet walking the planet. I got to thinking, what do my feet look like? What do my feet look like? My brother, a firefighter, had more concern for souls than I did as a pastor. What do my feet look like? How do we develop beautiful feet? How can we align ourselves with the heart of our Savior? Simple. Just invite somebody to church. Next week is National Back to Church Sunday. Churches, thousands all across the nation, are going to unite in trying to bring people back to church. Not only members, but people who are unchurched. And I'm going to challenge you to join me This week, in aligning my heart to my Savior and reaching out and inviting some unchurched people to church next week. Let's fill every service that we have. And it can happen. A recent Barna poll revealed that one out of four people will respond to an invitation to church. One will actually say, yes, many are waiting. Many need to come. Many want to come. They're waiting for someone to give them an invitation. They're waiting for some beautiful feet to come into their life. Let's be the beautiful feet this week passing out gospel resources like my brother did simple little book costs hardly anything we got tracks on the track racks there's sermon series that we have at our resource table there are all kinds of things we can just hand people and say listen I love you I want to give you this as a gift you know my brother gave these to every person that attended that reunion and you know what he told me not one person rejected it not one person they all thanked him and took it Build bridges of friendship. Another reason that the gospel isn't going out is because the body of Christ is is all involved in one little, nice little cocoon click and all our relationships are centered around other believers and we don't want to get out and mingle with the dirty people of the world. Jesus said, I came to save sinners. We need to build relationships with people who are unchurched because then they are more likely to listen to what we have to say about Jesus Christ. But the most powerful resource that you have and making your feet beautiful is your own story of what Jesus has done in your life. You know, you can go to somebody and say, listen, the Bible says, and they can immediately respond to you, well, I don't believe in the Bible. The Bible's just a book. It's a book of antiquity. It was written by a bunch of men who were crooked, and they were just trying to manipulate people. It's, you know, you, the Bible, I don't believe in the Bible. Or you could say, well, you know, what my church says, and they could say, ah, churches, they're just full of a bunch of hypocrites. Or you can say, oh, my pastor says, and they say, oh, your pastor, all he wants to do is get in your pocketbook. You know that, don't you? But listen, there is no defense against you saying, let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. Let me tell you how Jesus has changed my heart. Let me tell you how Jesus has changed my life. course, there is no defense against that. Jesus' mission was singular, to save sinners. As members of the royal household, we are to align our hearts with his heart, our purpose with his mission. And I'm going to challenge you today to join me as I purposely look to realign this heart as I ask God to give me a greater passion for those who have never trusted Christ as their Savior, as I ask God to use me and help my feet to be beautiful and to usher in wherever I go the peace of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, and the promise of God for eternal life. I'm going to challenge you to join me. I'm going to challenge this church. Let's align our hearts with that purpose. And if we do, we can be sure that no matter how many years we have left or how many years we ultimately live, that we will have lived life with a purpose greater than ourselves and live life for a purpose that will go beyond this life into eternity. Let's bow our heads. Let me first ask, as you look at your feet, how beautiful are they? I don't say that to put guilt on you. I just say it so that you have an opportunity to do what I had an opportunity to do this week. And that is to take inventory of my life and my feet and my passion and how aligned I am with the mission of my Savior. Maybe God is going to challenge you right now. And right now, He's putting the image of somebody that he wants you to invite to church next week. Somebody that he wants you to build a relationship of friendship with. Right now, will you just align yourself and say, I'm going to do that, Lord. I, I know what you're talking and I'm going to fulfill that. Maybe you're here today and your greatest need is to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never trusted Him as your Savior. You are still relying on yourself and your own goodness that somehow you're gonna do enough good in your life to appease God. Well, unless you have lived your life absolutely perfectly from the moment of your birth, you have no hope of doing that. And if you're honest, you know that you haven't lived that kind of life. And right now, God wants to give you, as a gift, his love and forgiveness If you're here today and every head bowed, please, every eye closed, no one looking around. And you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And right now you know that you need this gift and you need to trust him because right now the Spirit of God is bearing witness with your spirit. And God is speaking in his quiet voice to you, saying, I brought you here today to give you forgiveness. While no one's looking around. And I won't embarrass you in any way. Would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, you're talking to me right now. I've never trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and I know I need to. So we wait just a moment. Father, from the testimony here today, all of us have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And God, that is indeed something to celebrate. At the same time, It's a dramatic demonstration that the message that has gone out today is true. That we're not aligned. Because there should never be a service here at Florida Bible. Or any God-preaching, Bible-believing church where there is not someone who has lost, who has come at the invitation of somebody who is a believer. And God, so this message is timely. We need to align ourselves. And God, it's not that we don't love you and it's not that, that we don't believe in Jesus Christ. It's just that this world demands so much of us and it's so easy to get distracted. And so today, God, perform that alignment in our lives. Bring us back to our purpose. Remind us of our privilege of being your sons and daughters and help us in this area of our life to better align ourselves with you for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Amen.